Welcome to Drinking Bros, presented by GhostBed.com. Sit back, relax, and grab a fucking drink. Uh, hey, buddy. <laughs> what did you do there? Did you go backwards when I went forwards? You did. You did a one, two, three, and I did a three, two, one. I thought it would work. Just oh, fine. you, you sob, you fucking sob, brother. If if my if my audio fucks up, it's just because I'm an idiot with technology. But uh, I think I got it. Okay. All so. right. We'll find out. We'll find out. How, <laughs> how you been, Matthew? You're at, you're everywhere these days, man. I just saw you on Fox News the other day. Yeah, man. I've been good, dude. Just crazy busy. And I just haven't been home a lot. You know how that is when you hit those like travel schedules that are Oof. back to back. I'm yeah. California to Texas to New York to like Arizona back to New York. And it's all good, though, man. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of weird, I think, because the book has been doing so well and stuff that uh, <laughs> you have like Fox News reach out to you and be like, hey, can you come in and talk about the death of Al Baghdadi? And I'm like, what the fuck am I going to say? <laughs> you yeah, <know? laughs> well, uh, you know, the, the weird thing about it is, so, you know, speaking of the book, it's, it, we're on our ninth week on the New York Times bestseller list, and there's some times where you do these interviews, and it just so happens that you're there on one of the biggest news stories of the day, which is what happened to you at Fox. Yeah, exactly. I was out there for a hour-long veteran special that they actually put together. I think it's called Modern Warrior. And they put together a panel, and it kind of just talks about what's important to the individual, um, each person on the board, and discuss, you know, the veteran community, uh, the changes we're trying to make, and being proactive to support each other. And so I obviously absolutely went on there because I work with organizations like the Boot Campaign, and I sit in the board of directors for them, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that they texted me at like 9 p.m. We're like, hey, can you be at the studio at, you know, 5.30 in the morning to be on this fucking <laughs> Fox and Friends? I was like, I guess. Like, yeah. I'll just say thanks. Thanks to the dudes that killed him. You know, they're the badasses, not me. <laughs> so I kind of want to touch on that. Like, like when you get a call like that in the middle of the night and they're like, hey, come in at 5 a.m., do you start scrambling and like studying up? Because I, I have a feeling, and this is my guess, you can say yes or no. I have a feeling you actually know the people that did this. Uh, I have a couple friends that, may or may have not been in the vicinity of that target. Uh, I knew <laughs> but, it. I knew it. <laughs> but, but obviously they have to be hypersensitive with any information. And if I were to know anything, I could never say it. So I just read the, uh, the open source stuff that the news came out with and obviously read up on kind of how the, the target went down. Yeah. Cause look, Tiffany Hart was in studio yesterday and, and her, you know, we say this in the book, but uh, her husband's got a cool guy job, um, which is what you had. You had a cool guy job. So whenever something big goes down around the world, I just assume that either you know or, or one of our friends knows what really happened there. I mean, it's, it's hard not to know someone. I mean, I think the community is so small, and if you served in a special operations capacity, more likely than not, one of your friends is working with someone or something in or around the vicinity of that happened. Because, I mean, dude, there's only like 2,400 rangers in, in the world, you know? So it's like and then they, a lot of those guys that stay and go on to tier one elements and all that crap. And so, yeah, you're, the chances of knowing someone is, is very high, but they're obviously hyper quiet professionals and, and don't say anything. Of course, of course. And, and it's but, funny. But cheers to them, dude. Fucking A, they fucking smoke the fuck out of everybody on there. It's awesome. So cheers to them. You guys are absolute badasses. Like fucking so proud. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and again, to go back to what Tiffany said yesterday on yesterday's show, she said, look, when my husband comes home, there is certain things that he won't tell me about what he did. 
Absolutely. I mean, when you're working with like, uh, you know, a top secret clearance, you know, TSSCI, all that information is compartmentalized. So even if you have a TSSCI, that doesn't mean you get to know about said project or said information. You have to like be in and read into that portion of information because if everybody that had a top secret clearance knew everything, it would get leaked in like fucking two seconds, you know? Even to your wife. That's crazy. Yeah, man. I mean, I didn't really do that cool stuff with the agency and all that, but I still like when I started dating girls, I couldn't say anything where I was going, what I was doing and all that. So that's why I dated Libra for so long because we could talk about war and killing people together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because at least you have someone that's to some, chat that's with good, about. Hey, that's some good pillow talk, man. You know, a little sex and then talk about uh, national secrets. Cool. Not uh, that I had anything cool going on, but you know. Cooler than nothing. Yeah, but she did, you know? Yeah, she was a badass. <clears throat> so let me ask you, when something like this goes down, um, are you watching this saying like, you know, kind of like, like a retired quarterback saying, fuck, man, I wish I could get back in the game and I wish I was there? Dude, 100%. Obviously, I didn't serve in the unit that did it, but uh, I very seldomly these days have FOMO because I have – had to like work through that psychology of getting past me wishing I was still doing the cool guy stuff because at some point or another, you have to retire, right? You got to put up the jersey. You're going to be Peyton Manning and you got to walk away when you won the Super Bowl. Yeah. And, but yeah, when Al Baghdadi gets fucking iced and all of his homies, of course, you're like, God, what? I, I would, I would pull all my money out of savings if I could go on that target. Like, I don't fucking care if I die. I want to be there. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Cause that, that was a big one. Um, that, that was a real big one. What did you think of Trump's speech afterwards? I personally loved it. I thought it was hilarious, and I like to hear shit like that. Man, I loved some of the points he made. Absolutely, I I felt it was a little rambling. Uh, you know, well, sometimes he needs to obviously. like organize his information. But <laughs> <laughs> the whole like calling him a coward, coward, and he died. You know, the um, coward's death. I love that. I think that we need some balls back in the office, and not just being like. Hey, yeah, we, you know, we ridded the world of a terrorist. No, like make this dude look like an idiot. He was a fucking criminal that hid under this fake ideology and, and he was a rapist. He was a murderer. And the fucking code name, which was open source information was actually after the, the female Kayla, who was they, uh, an American, they kidnapped and, um, you know, Al Baghdadi pretty much raped. And so it was so cool that in her name and her honor, they planned this mission to go execute him or excuse me, you know, shoot him in the face if, if he shot back so pretty rad uh, all about it yeah and what, what was she doing over there by the way because i'm not as familiar with with her uh as everybody else is uh so i i don't know this is i when they asked me to come on i tried to read up as much as i could mm-hmm. about everything and i and i forget which source it was like msnbc or something that listed it but i believe she was an american aid worker that went over to syria to help out and then when she showed up they were like dude, you got to get the fuck out of here. And they were busing her back to a safer location to get her out of there. And uh, her and one other individual um, were just kidnapped. So, Fuck, man. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. Yeah, because whenever, whenever you hear or read something like that, to me, especially in today's world, I always assume things are fake and I don't know the real story. That's why I thought I'd ask. Um, but uh, yeah, because uh, you know you read different things of of why people are over there and and what they're doing, and you're like, is that was that real, or the, were they working for the government, or, or what was actually going on there? 
No, I mean, a lot of people go over there as aid workers, man. And unfortunately, they're they're empathetic and they have a good heart and they're trying to do the right thing. But, you know, the risk is absolutely massive. You know, it's happened to quite a few people that get kidnapped. So it's unfortunate. The heart's in the right place, but kind of, you know, poor judgment a little bit, I think. But, you know, they, they were truly trying to change change the world for the better. But obviously, it's hard to do when you have a bunch of crazy people with AK-47s that are willing to do anything um, against humanity. Yeah. Yeah, obviously. But uh, my, my hope in all of this is they got, I hope, and this is just an assumption, that they got so much information off that target that we just start fucking executing high high leaders in ISIS. It'd be so awesome. Just if names started stockpiling, it'd be great. That's what it seemed like. It, it seemed like they got two of the biggest, because they caught two other people. Um, so at least to, you know, to the outside world, it, it seems like that's what's going to happen. Um, do you know any different? I know personally, I mean, that, that information would never get out because if you, you got to like keep that super close knit, you know, because obviously they don't want to let anybody know they're on the, the trail. So sure. Um, what goes into an operation like this? Cause we, you know, obviously you were there when we had Rob O'Neill on the show. Um, and he was kind of talking about how they pre-planned it for, you know, three months out and they knew where, where he was at and the house and all that other stuff. What goes into something like this of trying to kill a guy who's essentially hiding underground? Yeah, I think he was in the house. That's what Open Source said. You know, again, I didn't serve. I was never in a tier one unit. But of course, obviously yeah. doing a lot of direct action and time sensitive targets. I mean, I'm sure that they had timely intelligence where they were practicing the raid and knew certain layouts and all of that shit. And at least who and how many people were on target, I, I would assume. I, I don't know any of that factually. But uh, yeah, I, I guarantee that they were training, you know day after day and then just waiting for the confirmation to go and i you know i've been on certain times when we're going after a high level guy and like you get spun up in the birds and then they shut you down you get spun up again and it's that like we're going okay we're not um but i'm sure the guys i would imagine were pretty amped up and that's a testament to the the courage of those guys that you know you're going into a target where everybody's willing to die and that's that's pretty intense and it just shows you how badass they are to just pretty much land on the x and getting a gunfight immediately so again cheers to those dudes they're fucking badasses yeah that's i like a- i can cuss on the podcast i've been on fox too much <laughs> i know man you gotta you gotta come back on this show you can say whatever the fuck you want on here you know? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> uh-huh. which i'm a washed up motherfucker now i don't get to kill terrorists i just kill giant red stag you know did you see that photo that was awesome oh yeah dude that how, how many pounds is that fucking thing you killed Dude, I think he was over 400. He's a big boy. Yeah, I'm going to have all the venison, so I'm going to eat good for a long time. I, li- I like how uh, al-Baghdadi dies, and then you go out, and you're like, dude, i got to murder something. i got to kill <laughs> something. <laughs> it was actually before, but yeah, it was dope, man. We spot and stalked it. My wife, cheers to her, she, she walked like 15 miles with me um, to track that guy. So Holy shit. Where were you guys? We are in Texas. It was, a, it was a high fence ranch, but they don't. You know, you're not just shooting them on a feeder. You got to spot and stock, call them in, cow call them. And we ran into some of those animals, man. They'll get so close to you. They'll be like 20 feet away and it's not the right one, but they're fucking huge. You're like, oh God, don't charge me. Uh, but it's definitely a definitely fun time. So when you, when you go out hunting like that, what all do they have there? Was there? Is there like zebras and all kinds of crazy shit or... Oh God. Yeah. This place is called record buck ranch and cheers to them. They're absolutely amazing. And it's, you know, it's Texas hunting. You got a lodge with whiskey and all that, but you got to go out all day in the morning and, and spot and stock and see which animal you want. But do they have ev- like everything? It's an African safari and half the fun is just driving around, checking out all the animals, just looking at them. Can you kill anything you want? 
Uh, you know, they're really good at managing the ranch. And so the, the animals have to be a specific year, a specific type, because you're not just going to shoot anything. I mean, if you, if you shoot something by accident, you're paying for it. So you got to be really careful because the price tags can go pretty high. Oh, no shit. So it's the, the price is based on animal. Oh God. Yeah, man. I mean, I didn't know that. Oh yeah. I mean, they have a price sheet for everything. And fortunately this hunt that I went on was supporting the boot campaign. We auctioned it off, um, for a charity event I did last year and uh, a very, very nice gentleman purchased it and said, guess what? You and Crispy are taking my spot. And so I got to go out there with Omar and hunt with Omar for three days. It was, it was fucking rad. Oh dude, that's dope as shit. Yeah, it was awesome. Crispy's the best. Did he bring his wife too? Yeah, he brought Miss Crispy, and the girls were hanging out and hunting as well. I think Miss Crispy uh, got a nice white tail, and it, it was fun. You know, we're all just kind of meat hunters. I'm not a huge trophy hunter, but it doesn't hurt to have a giant rack to put on my fireplace. Yeah, of course. That, that way, if Rolling Stone ever comes back and does an interview, they can call me even crazier, you know? Uh, dude, because that thing's – go to Matt's Instagram. It's at MattBestOfficial on Instagram. Um, check out this stag that he fucking nuked. That thing is – I mean, it, 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 it's perfect. It looks like it's in a lodge in a movie. Yeah, yeah, it pretty much, pretty much is. It's, they're intense, man. Those animals are so tough. I had to shoot it three times, and, and next year I'm going to take out my bow. Um, but this year I did rifle because I had to go to New York on Sunday, and I was like, oh, man, I definitely want an animal. I'm hungry. Yeah. I'm hungry. <laughs> so what happens when you kill something that's 400 pounds like that? Do you do that yourself? Because, look, you and I have been deer hunting. You usually do it yourself, but a 400-pound animal, what happens then? Well, honestly, I was, uh, I wasn't up, not upset about it, but normally what you got to do is you got to field dress it, quarter it, and then pack it out is what you have to do. But as fortune would have it, um, by the time we hit it once and stalked it for like another four miles, we got, it was like right on the road. So when I ended up doing the last shot on him, he was 20 feet off of an access road. And so we were oh, able to man. get the Jeep up there and yeah, dude, but <laughs> I kind of wanted to pack him out cause I was going to make my wife carry the horns. She would have been a trooper, but it would have been fun. <laughs> Did you see her carrying that heavy ass shit? <laughs> Hell yeah. Cause then every time you're eating hamburger, you're like, damn dude, I put work in for this dude. <laughs> no, you, you definitely earn your food on something like that. She's so tiny though. Like how could she carry that? That'd be, that's fucking huge. Ah, she trains six days a week. She's stronger than most dudes, so she she could do it. Man, uh, that's fucking hilarious. Um, what were you doing in, in L.A. and all that shit? I know you were filming a rap video. I saw some crazy photos from set with that. It was a it was a midget in one of them. Yeah, um, it was a little person. I'll say that his name was Kyle, and he was absolutely amazing. Um, but yeah, we just we wanted to. I wanted to make a crazy rap video, so I rented a mansion and made it look like I was in the drug cartel. And it's all about kind of coffee. It's very synonymous with like bitch. I operate on how like I'm gonna have someone talking shit on me that I can't rap, and then I just it's 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 ludicrous. It's absolutely insane. I mean, I, I got I'm piecing the footage together now, and it's probably the weirdest shit I've ever done. But I like I like doing that. Yeah, I saw who was it? Charlie Classic was out there. Brandon, it looked like Brandon Rogers. Yeah, Brandon Rogers did a really funny skit about he just showed up in his character Sam, and he just started trying to direct the the show. So I, I was just trying to support my homies. You know, it was, it was a very expensive location, and so I called all the influencer people I knew in Los Angeles and like Charlie, and I said, "Hey, come out. You know, use this that way. If we're paying for it, at least you guys are getting content and assets out of it. So it's just not me doing the music video. We're getting as much as we can and supporting my friends. And I think they got a lot of cool shit. So 
Yeah, Brandon Rogers, man, that guy's a fucking beast. He's one of the funniest sketch comedians on on YouTube, in my opinion. So so fucking funny, man. He and he like won't break character. He showed up as Sam, his character, and that was that's what he did all day. I'm like, hey, Brandon. He's like, oh hi, I'm Sam. Like, oh okay, you're in character all day. Got it. <laughs> oh no shit for the entire day. <laughs> pretty much the whole entire day. It was it was pretty funny. That's funny, man. That guy's that guy's next level. I saw I, he's doing yeah, some I, stuff with Comedy Central finally. Yeah, it looks like he's doing stuff at Comedy Central, and uh, dude, the dude gets millions and millions of views on his on his videos, and and I actually like for, like completely love his content because a lot of that stuff it's you know towards like the younger generation, and I just don't fucking understand it, but his shit's pretty funny. Comedy's comedy, man. That that guy is phew, he's for my money, he's the best in the business on YouTube. Um, yeah, it's. It's dope. We've been having fun with content at Black Rifle, man. We've been doing so much shit. We just released that uh, Veterans vs. Horror Movies, which is almost at 2 million views now. So thank you guys. That was fucking awesome, man. Yeah, Eli and I and Logan and the team and Jared had a blast uh, directing that. I mean, we we shot that all in one day. We got a fucking almost a nine-minute segment out of... It was a 20-hour day we logged. So it was pretty, pretty dope. Cheers to those guys for working so hard. Yeah, I saw on YouTube it was close to like 2 million. And then Facebook... Uh, they're you know how many how many views on Facebook was it, dude? It was so fucking weird, and I and I'm trying to look and have our analytics team dive into the back end because it went up, it shot up to like I don't know three hundred, four hundred thousand or whatever it is, and then for four days it didn't get one view. I, man, something is going on with Facebook, and, th- and that's why I brought this up. So I've had maybe. 10 to 12 like content creators hit me up and be like, hey, man, are you having any success with Facebook these days? And I was like, no, nothing whatsoever. I, I just kind of stopped, and I don't understand what's going on over there uh, or if they're trying to switch completely. But uh, it's not you. It's everybody. Well, they, yeah, it's super weird because they have those optimization categories as far as what you need to publish to make like you know over three minutes, proper tags, and all. and I qualified for all of those. But it seems that like the long form content does absolutely god awful on Facebook, even though that that's what they want to be published. Mm-hmm. But then like the memes sub two minute are the ones that really do well. And there's a lot of podcasts about it as well. So I don't know what the hell they're doing on that side, but I don't have it figured out. So I feel like more and more people are getting away from Facebook, especially with YouTube is pretty much built into every remote control and smart TV at home. Um, right. that's, that's all my kids watch is, is YouTube. Uh, never does anybody come over and say, Hey, flip it on over to Facebook for that video. You know? Yeah. It's super weird. I'm the same way. That's why I'm really focusing on YouTube going forward is because they created the, uh, Facebook watch and then mm-hmm. they pretty much walked away from Facebook watch. And now they're doing monetization on pages channels, but the way that they categorize the content is is stupid like you it's so hard to search for a video whereas youtube you can put like ross patterson and then it populates all of your stuff as far as you know tags and what your best performers are but it's so hard to do that on facebook so it's not really good as far as an archive to search and look through suggested videos so i don't know what their plan is with that but it definitely is not not good right now no i think there's a race for all this original content with everybody and they're trying to figure it out however it's it's fucking over the tried and true methods and I know Apple Podcasts is about to switch to that as well. They're doing their own origin, yeah. original podcasts and stuff. And it's like, not that it matters because the, the Apple numbers have been going down for, for the last couple of years. But uh, Spotify and you know guys like Himalaya and Podbean and all those guys are on the rise. And uh, 
Yeah, it's strange, man. Um, I, I don't know what they're trying to do. Where it's like you had a you had a model that was working. Why not continue with it? You would think, but I'm sure they got really smart people over there trying to do something. So, so who knows? I, yeah, I honestly have no clue. <laughs> yeah, it's weird, man. I, I just, I'm just always like try to put out the best content that our core audience likes, and um, hopefully it does well. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's super fucking weird. Uh, I can't, I can't get a, a goddamn handle on it. Um, where are you going for the holidays this year? I'll probably stay home for Thanksgiving, man. We got a couple people coming out. Maybe uh, my mom, maybe my brother. Other than that, dude, I'm I'm laying low. I mean, travel's been so busy lately, and we're putting out so much shit uh, through November and December. I mean, I think we have like two videos going up a week through Black Rifle and and us. So, and we're doing. I don't know if you've seen the crazy shit. You see Power Llama? We actually launched that today. I was just gonna <laughs> ask you about that, dude. I saw. So J- Jared sent me a pic of you guys. You had a live llama inside the Black Rifle coffee office. And it looked like 250 cows were shot to the sides of it. <laughs> yeah, we strapped two mod deuces on. I fucking love businessman because we do shit that, you know, everybody would say you can't do. And, <laughs> you know, we have these ideas of like, we should make an exclusive coffee, you know, club. And we did. And it did so well. The first one, Flying Elk. And then the next one is Power Llama that came out today. And we're like, what, what can we do to market this? And the team was like, we should get a llama and then strap 50 cows just like the design and bring it into the office. We're like, oh, I guess, I guess we can do that. No one, no one would say no. It's our company. And that's, that's <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was shitting everywhere. Like, it just, those things are like shit producers. They just walk and piss and shit. Walk, piss, and it, it's hilarious. So it was just shitting all through the Black Rifle Coffee office? Oh, God, yeah, yeah. We had to pull him back into the warehouse part because he was just shitting. Like, obviously, there's no coffee around it in, in the corporate headquarters, but he, we had to take it to the, the warehouse because he was just crapping everywhere. Um, you, the funniest thing about that was I actually heard it from, because we have a, a brand new studio here in Wilmington. The guy was doing, hooking up security all throughout all the doors and stuff, and he goes, uh, he saw the book on the desk, and he goes, ah, oh, shit, man, you know Matt Best? I was like, yeah, yeah. He's a good friend of mine, and he goes, uh, "Hey, man, I saw there was a llama in his office with like a like a couple fifty cows on there. Like, I just I was literally just looking at their page earlier, and I was like, what? And so he pulled it up on his phone, and I, that's that's how I saw it. And I was like, shut the fuck up. And he goes, "Hey, man, do they just do that shit every day? And I was like, yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. That's what it's like over there." Well, we're all weird, bizarre people, and you know, you come up with these ideas, and nothing really inhibits you. The only thing that inhibits is you is your own action to get it done. And so, yeah, we just come up with. Do we have on the exclusive coffee club, man? It's so we have so much wild ideas coming out in the next couple months that are are insane. Like, I think any sane person would look at us and go, "Are you guys on like mushrooms or something?" I'm like, "No, just my brain's that weird." Yeah, yeah. What's uh, where, where does one get a llama these days? You know, we're in Texas. They have a lot of weird uh, wildlife out here. So, you know, a couple calls, get the producers on it, and then uh, find, a, find a llama that we can strap 50 cows to. I wonder what they thought. <laughs> we're going to put machine guns on your llama. Is that cool? Uh, I guess. Uh, sure. How much you, how much you paying? How much you paying for the llama? Cool. Yeah, you can put a 50 cal on there. That's like when we rented in Salt Lake City the uh, the goat, and we had to like do a distraction. It was for the fuck ISIS video, and we actually pulled her around to give her a tour, and then we shot the fake ISIS dude humping the uh, the goat. So we didn't want her to see that. I'm sure she saw the content after and was like, "Well, never letting those guys use yep. my fucking goat again." <laughs> 
I think my weirdest ridiculous. my weirdest order out. I had to order a miniature donkey for a shoot, and uh, yeah, it was they had to bring this thing down like four hours away, and the whole thing. And then when we got there, they were like, "Hey, can we have it drink uh, beer out of this like dog bowl?" And they were not sweet about it. Um, I can't believe you. They let you put fifty cows on a fucking llama. Hey, we hustle. Yeah, uh, that, that's fucking hilarious. Well, look, hey, we got some sponsors to get to here. Since you're here on the show, let's start with Black Rifle. What do you got going on? Yeah, man, we got so much cool stuff coming out of BlackRifle.com, uh, BlackRifleCoffee.com. And, uh, man, it's right now the exclusive coffee club, there, there's so many limited subscriptions on that, but it's all micro lot and uh, single source origin. I mean, the coffee is absolutely phenomenal, and you get such awesome perks with it. So, uh, you know, we sell out really quick. I saw a bunch of drinking bros that were waiting up till midnight for it to go live and purchasing it. So thanks to you guys. But the coffee is mind-blowingly good. And if you want to not buy that big one, you can obviously join our coffee club, which is the most awesome thing out there. It ships directly to your door. You never lose your coffee. Um, and got so much cool content and t-shirts and hats and beanies and jackets and, and all the nine, man. We're just making great shit. We got a great team. Uh, yeah. So it, check it, us out. Explain the, explain the, the, the coffee though. Cause I know Dan got it in here. What's the difference? Well, really it's, it's, it's what point the bean scores. So we have like, you know, 80% and above beans. It's why our coffee tastes so good. And then obviously we roast it and deliver it right to you. So the shelf life is perfect as far as where you should be at drinking and consuming that coffee. Um, but the exclusive coffee club, it is like really crazy beans that there's not a lot of farms that do them. And so Evan and the coffee team who are obviously coffee heads find something, they refine that roast like black honey or something. And they just go, this is going to taste the coolest and the greatest, but we can only get, you know, 2000 pounds of it. And so that's, what's going into that exclusive coffee club. So we, we can only sell as much as we can get. And that's what makes it so cool. That's awesome. Well, look, uh, as always promo code drinking bros, 20 at black rifle Uh, they've, you guys always have mad fucking, uh, black Friday sales. So, uh, hit them up, Neil, hit them up, Neil. Uh, next up, we got ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. Everybody's doing the 36-month pay-as-you-go program. No interest. Comes out to 38 bucks a month for uh, for a fucking mattress. Sleep so good, it's scary. <laughs> and it's the, the day after Halloween, Matt. I needed that from you. I needed that from you today. Hey, I still sleep on a ghost bed to this day, every day. I know. Same. Same, man. I, I love these guys. Uh, their pillows, their sheets, their, their fucking mattresses are the best in the business. If you're military or a first responder, you get 15% off forever in the store. And if you're a regular human like myself, again, those Halloween deals are up still. They're rocking. Their Black Friday deals are coming soon. And uh, they're incredible. We love, love, love GhostBed.com forward slash drinking bros last but not least this one is what i wanted to ask you about is uh killcliffcbd.com have you had this yet i've had a few um they were actually supposed to send me a couple cases i haven't got them but i mean i i take cbd every single day i, I love it you know some people call it snake oil but with it's the not man what yeah they're, what they're you no know, what they're showing it does to your body i mean for recovery and and just overall health it's it's phenomenal it's phenomenal, and like I, I can tell you why they didn't send those cases. So we we did a few shows with them. They sold out. They brought it back in, um, and uh, I mean it is killing it. Uh, I think it's because everybody knows Killcliff, and it's a trusted brand. Where you know you're not buying something in some sure. weird head shop where it's just like, oh, here's you know Rickshaw Johnny's fucking CBD oil. 
Um, yeah. This, yeah, this is Kill Cliff. It's got 25 uh, uh, mags of uh, CBD in, in a can, and um, it, that, that, it tastes amazing. No carbs, no sugars. Um, go to killcliffcbd.com. Get it. I, dude, I ordered like eight cases the day it came back in. Just in case they sold out again, they're 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 in stock fully now. But uh, just in case, just in case, promo code Drinking Bros gets you twenty percent off and free shipping. It knocks it down to like four bucks a can, which is like the same as a, a can of of Monster. Um, and not to not to run my suck too much on Black Rifle, but it's super dope. So November is usually the month we do it. Um, from November all the way through the whole entire month, we have their buy a bag, give a bag campaign. So essentially, every bag of coffee you purchase through Black Rifle Coffee, we're donating one to a deployed service member. And we always have great feedback from it. But in last year, I think we sent... I don't know how many freaking pallets, but that all goes um, out to Ford Troops. Every purchase you make, we're donating a bag of coffee overseas. You can hit the lander on the page and see it. So it's pretty fucking rad to know a lot of the guys and probably some of the guys going out on that bag daddy raid were, were hyped up on Black Rifle Coffee. So I, it, I'm, I know it's not a lot, but it's, it's, it's what we can do as a coffee company, and it's great. No, it's awesome, man. And, and people bring that up all the time to me in real life. They're like, dude, are they really sending coffee overseas? I was like, yeah, man. Uh, that's something you really can't lie about. You know, if you, <laughs> if you got caught no, saying we that, work, yeah. <laughs> no, we work with phenomenal organizations like Operation Supply Drop, who does a lot of the logistical piece and getting it to the units that need it most. So yeah, of course we're doing it. Yeah. Also, dude, completely different segue because we're talking about CBD. I went into a freaking weed store when I was in LA. Yeah. That shit is getting like intense. They had, it was like an Apple store, dude. They had all the iPads out there and it was going through each little like marijuana strain and what, you know, vape pens and all of that shit. I was like, dude, they're really up in the game on the whole marijuana thing in, in the legal States. It's, it's super cool to see. It's crazy, right? It's crazy. But I, I, you almost feel like a drug addict when you walk in there. Like, is this, is this cool to be in here? <laughs> it's still, yeah. You, you still feel like an underage kid with a fake ID trying to buy a, a bottle of a Thunderbird where you're just like, wait, <laughs> exactly. We're good, right? Like I can I can be in here and everything is fine. Um, <clears throat> the only thing they don't Their let salesman's... you do is take pictures. What is that? Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know why. It's like who gives a shit? Uh, yeah, the, well, sale, dude, the the salesmen know it like they're in a a fucking coffee bean or something. You know, some of that shit's <clears throat> crazy because you walk in and I just like the browse and they're like, oh, what about these edibles? You know, they're a hundred milligrams. I'm like. What fucking planet is one person taking 100 milligrams? And I'm sure people that listen to the show do that, but I can't. I would die. No, I would no. die. I, I'm, I'm a 10 guy. Anything more than 10, I am on my face. Yeah, I like give a fucking hangover and you're, you're in the spirit world. And I prefer not to live in the spirit world. It's a little too much for me. Same, man. I think 100's the max. And that's why they, you know, it's labeled like that, where it's just like, hey, man. And look, good on you if you're able to, to control something like that. But man, I would I would walk into a casino like fucking Johnny Depp, man, if if I took a whole hundred, you know? Well, that shit for me is like whiskey. Like I like having a smooth buzz and having fun. I've never been the dude that goes like let's like Jared Taylor, let's just get blacked out because it completely def- defeats the purpose of having a drink for me. You know, it's like let's uh let's get a nice buzz on, be creative and uh laugh and uh, try to come in somebody yeah yeah so, what? Uh, yeah, wait, what wait wait i'm sorry who what? who who what uh is this thing on <laughs> is this thing on uh definitely not pulling out tonight is this thing <laughs> still going <laughs> I, have you been over to jared's place 
Um, a little bit. I haven't been over there for a while because I've been traveling so much, but I know that they're like doing some remodeling and all that shit. So is it just chaos? How many people are living in that fucking place? I honestly don't know right now. I, I don't know. I, it's not as crazy you would think. I, I feel like he's got a lot more of a grip on, uh, you know, the, the parties than he used to. So it's not as crazy as you think. But okay, still, good. You know, Fr- French press Jared for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, on the cruise, everybody was talking about that picture we posted where we cheers his non-existent body at that dinner when he blacked out. Oh, so good. So good. Yeah, God, the the stories that are still coming back from that cruise are hilarious. Um, you know, you know, he did end up swinging with another couple there. Yeah, I think we talked about it on that one that one episode. I, I yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's full swinging if you're just kind of like hanging out with a girl and then you swap. But I mean, hey, you know, it, you li- you live your best life, dude. You do you. <laughs> <laughs> you do you. <laughs> there was no swinging happening in my room. I we don't we don't fuck around. With no, that no, and you and I were next to each other, so. Uh, yeah, it was your, it's you and your wife, me and my wife. Yeah, there was definitely no swinging going on down there. But Jared just, he, he went full send that entire trip. As he should, you know, again, live his best life. He's having fun. Do it, do him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's got to be cool that your dad's down there, by the way, for the holidays. Is this the first year? Yeah, it is, actually, because he came right after the new year um, last year. So it'll be cool. He, dude, he's a great cook, plays country music, always has a, has a full freezer of Jameson. So, it's been really cool to, you know, I was thinking about that yesterday, talking with Tyler from Nine Line, you know, about her parents and how, you know, I, I was deployed and gone so much since I was 17 to essentially almost 30, especially when I started my businesses, um, that I didn't really get to spend a lot of time with my father. And so right now it's been awesome because he's like eight minutes away. So I can just drive over, you know, have a shot with him or something, hang out for a little bit and, and just log that time with him because I thoroughly enjoy him as a, as a best friend and my father. and it's. It's been really cool to see. Yeah, man. I, it's, it's funny. I just did the same thing with my parents. So I helped them move here. They're about eight minutes away in Wilmington. And just to have them around all the time, like for Halloween last night for the kids and, uh, man, the soccer games on Saturdays and all that stuff, it's awesome, man. And you take it for granted when you're in your 20s and you know, 30s running around doing crazy shit and movies and everything. And uh, it's awesome to see now, you know? Well, yeah, I think we're probably very fortunate to have that still because, you know, I look back and I'm like, dude, my dad's 76 and, and whether we want to, you know, say it or not, life ends for everybody at some point. And it's like you got to log the, the most, you know, quality time you can with the people you love because shit, I could fucking die tomorrow. So it's been really nice to, to log some quality time. Yeah. I, and that's, that's exactly what I feel too, where it's just like, man, life is short. I don't know if I'm going to make it through this fucking podcast, let alone, you know, the weekend. <laughs> Right, that'd be pretty cool. Just have a heart attack on drinking bros. It'd be a good way to go out. I'd be fine with that. I'd be fine yeah. with that. I was, I was talking. I would say, or ISIS comes in to kill me, but I got, I got my AR and my Glock right in front of me, so I, I'll, I'll go down with a fight if that happens. Yeah, you wouldn't clack off like a pussy with a suicide vest. Yeah, that's 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 pretty lame. At least, like, well, I'm glad he killed himself, but you know, it might as well. If if I was in the reverse place, I'd at least try to like take out as many isis dudes as possible right i get fucking smoked i wouldn't just be like all right i'm out yeah man that that, that whole thing just kind of seemed like a bitch move toward the end like if you're in it get in it you know yeah i'm sure he thought like martyrdom look at me i'm setting an example or he was just a fucking he's a fucking pussy coward fuck him yeah because we were we were talking about el chapo's kids gotten uh in a shootout yesterday um or the day before oh, really oh yeah yeah down in mexico they try to get they're trying to get the kids 
the, the sons and, and extradite them to the United States since they got El Chapo. And they said, fuck it, man. We're staying. And I mean, it, this, this firefight lasted fucking an hour and a half. They got one of the kids, and then the police made him call the brother and say, hey, man, you know, give up and, uh, and, and you know, come get your brother, and then we'll you know, surrender. And he goes, nope, fuck you, dude. And they just kept blasting, and, and eventually they, the, the police turned the brother loose, dude. <laughs> what? Yeah. They had, too man, much, that's crazy. they had too much ammo, man. <laughs> that's crazy. And we're talking 50 cows and shit like that. Like, they were not fucking around down there. Yeah, the, the the cartels and all that, man. That's that's a wild world. I don't know a lot about it, but yeah, that that's some that's some heavy, gnarly shit down there. Yeah, man. So yeah, El Chapo's kids are still still good to go. We we were talking about it. Like, why not? If you're El Chapo and you have like billions of dollars like that, why not just offer the world? Like, hey, man, I'll give you one billion dollars to get me out of out of this prison. Somebody would try to do it. Oh, I'm sure. If they're not already working on it right now, I mean. Money, money tends to rule the world half the time. So, yeah, man, sure something crazy like that. Yeah, um, I, I want to ask you your thoughts on this Jeffrey Epstein thing. Um, we didn't get a chance to touch on it yesterday, and I want to. Everybody's been asking. The New York Times came out and said uh, there was a, a doctor who did an, an independent investigation and said he looked like he, it was homicide rather than him hanging himself. You, you shocked by that, dude? If it looks like a cat. Meows like a cat. It's probably a fucking cat, dude. I gotta get shout out to Joe Rogan, man. He his fucking memes that he's been posting about that. Yeah, have you seen? Oh man, that's exactly where I I, I wanted to go with this. Like everybody started picking up on it again, and I've seen all these memes, and I was shocked to see Rogan doing it, and I was like, oh shit, he's in on it. (laughs) I think it's hilarious. I mean, yeah, I don't think anybody's truly shocked about that, you know. No, no, no. I, I, I'm not shocked about it. I'm shocked about like Rogan and all these other like, because you, you look, we all follow the same kind of people online, you and I, and um, everybody's doing these little Epstein drops here and there now. And I'm like, all right, shit, uh, this is starting to become a thing. I wonder if any they'll, they'll investigate any further. I doubt it, but. Well, I mean, at least it's getting public awareness, you know, I, I, so who knows where that's going to go. But yeah, it's it's been fucking hilarious to see everybody posting about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really fucking funny, man. Um, hey, you want to give a shout out to the you, you want to make the, the whole uh, Delta crew, the drinking bros of the week? Well, I that that would be amazing. I think, yeah, the, the guys that went out and uh, off the pretty much the number one terrorist in the world. That those are my drinking bros of the week. Absolutely, badass motherfuckers, man. Good on you, and good on the intelligence team for probably working years and years to get that done. So, congratulations, you guys are phenomenal, and uh, we support the hell out of you. Uh, the dog's been getting a lot of press. Uh, explain to the audience yeah. how vital those are to those types of missions. Oh, uh, dude, the working dogs, man. Now and some of the the things that they've been using them for are truly phenomenal. Yeah, I, I've been loving those memes too, where it's like get in, we're going to go hunt terrorists. And it's like a vehicle with a bunch of blonde chicks and the dog. And I, I really think it's hilarious that um, that's almost the way that they've been skewing this. So to get away from the actual unit that did it, they're just putting it all in the dog, which is hilarious and awesome <laughs> because I'm sure, I'm sure once he heard that dog coming, he was like, Oh fuck, I'm going to get chewed to death. I was blow myself up. Right. Is that, is that what happens? Like, can you, is it like, is the dog that loud in those situations? Cause I've never been in something like that, obviously. 
it depends. I mean, sometimes they can do a bark just to let them know. It's like racking a shotgun, you know, um, the imminent death is coming. Uh, I don't know. It wasn't there. So I don't want to speculate, but some of the, the capabilities of those dogs now, I mean, you can see them on the internet of people posting videos. I mean, they'll do hundred meter hits now running and hitting some off someone off a motorcycle and people are like, Oh, I could fight a dog off. You're like, Bro, no, you can't. Those things are, they hit so hard. They bite so hard. They're fucking ferocious. So yeah, super dope. That's awesome. Uh, well, look, like, like we said at the top of the show, the book is uh, Thank You for My Service. It, it has been nine weeks in a row consecutively on the New York Times bestseller list. The audiobook has been just scorching the earth. Everybody's listening to that thing. Uh, which is amazing. It's, it's been re- it's been really cool to see all the national news cycles that uh, pay attention of being on uh, you know the bestseller <laughs> list for over two months and reaching out to, to us. So really want to say thank you guys for for you know not being biased against good content in someone's personal story about their journey through war and, and entrepreneurship. So just want to thank those fucking people. Uh, you know, dude. At the end of the day, this is like my my mission in life. Everybody fucking tells us no, we can't. You know, we're a conservative coffee company that's pro gun and I, it's so funny that we just get shut down everywhere we go but at the end of the day if you have a good heart and you work fucking hard you'll be successful so always chase your dreams and don't fucking placate and fall into these pussy fucking bitches that say you can't do stuff because i know that they're looking at that on the bestseller list going jesus christ how do we get this off the list you know fuck them do you <laughs> don't listen to anybody else man i, I it is what it is, and I'm not even bitter about it. It's just hilarious, and it's so cool to see people still supporting the book because I truly believe it is a great story, and, and we, we told it in a very humorous way. So, you know, even if they don't want to support it, fuck them. Thank you guys so much for supporting the book. Yeah, and, and by the way, what Matt's referring to is there is still not one national media publication who has, who has posted a review of this book, which is after nine weeks on the New York Times bestseller list is, is unheard of at this point. Yeah, and like him or not, dude, Fox News is the only people that have been allowed me to tell my story on a national forum. So I got to give them credit whether or not like, you know, I don't watch the news. I I usually go to Al Jazeera or just read the facts. But, um, you know, they gave me a platform to discuss my story. And I'm hyper thankful for that. And not one other um, news agency and or special has done anything about it. So it is what it is. Uh, We'll just keep working hard and keep making great shit. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So what we're going to do for the audience here is uh, we're actually going to play a full chapter. So that way, look, we, we know you got a lot of uh, big commutes coming up over the holidays for Thanksgiving. You're probably driving to see family or, or Christmas. And maybe you haven't bought the audiobook yet. And you're like, man, what is this really like? Uh, Matt read it himself, read all the voices, knocked it out of the fucking park. Um, so we're going to play a chapter. Which one is this, Matt, that we're playing today? I believe we're doing Baby It's Cold Outside Piss on Me. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which which was a, a, a troll that we all wanted to do with the whole Baby It's Cold Outside uh, song that people were saying was, you know, too sensitive. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So what we're going to do is play that now. If you enjoy this, I can promise you, you'll enjoy the rest of the book. And I look, I think it's only like twelve ninety nine on iTunes. So uh, it's good. And it's right next to the podcast and all that stuff. Um, so check out the Thank You for My Service audiobook. We'll play that chapter here in a second. Matt Best, thanks again for being on the show today, buddy. I miss you. 
Always, man. Miss you too, buddy. And uh, cheers to all the drinking bros, man. Thanks for the continued support. We'll keep uh, putting out crazy shit like llamas with machine guns. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Here is a chapter from uh, the audiobook. Uh, Thank you for my service. Available everywhere now. Chapter 4. Baby, it's cold outside, so please piss on me. The path to a ranger battalion begins the same way for every infantryman with an 11X Option 40 contract. 15 weeks at one station unit training, OSUT, then 3 weeks at Airborne School, then 8 weeks at RASP. All of which takes place in and around Fort Benning outside of Columbus, Georgia. Let me tell you, I've been lucky in my careers to travel all over the world. I've met some awesome people and seen some amazingly beautiful places but I've also been to some real shitholes, and Columbus, Georgia is the shittiest shithole of them all. If its motto isn't, spread the butt cheeks of Dixie and follow the smell, then someone needs to start a petition. How else do you describe a river town on the Alabama border whose crown jewels are three Waffle House franchises within a half mile of each other? For infantry, OSA is 10 weeks of basic training and 5 weeks of advanced individual training, all in one place. The Army says that they've combined the two phases to increase unit camaraderie, which it does, but there are other good reasons to keep a bunch of jacked-up 18- and 19-year-olds penned in for as long as you can when you're training them to be badass killers. After 10 weeks of total isolation around a bunch of other dudes, can you imagine putting us on a plane to some other base? No airport bartender or female flight attendant would be safe. Flight attendant? Thank you for your service. Infantryman? It would be my honor to service you. OSET sucks in the same boring way that the basic training of every other branch in the military sucks. You do the push-ups, you march the miles, eat the shit, do the drills, blah, blah, blah. I'm up, he sees me, moving on. Airborne school sounds cool, but really all you have to do to get through it is run five miles in less than 40 minutes and then jump out of a plane five times without breaking your leg or dying. The running part is pretty easy if you're in decent shape. One time I broke a shoelace three miles into an afternoon run, and instead of stopping to re-rig the shoelace in the eyelets and re-secure the boot, I just threw the boot in the woods like an idiot and forced gumped it the last two miles, well within the allotted time. Don't get me wrong, I am proud of having gone through Airborne, but for someone who has signed up to be a professional face shooter and had volunteered to run at Bullets for $25,000 a year, the physical aspects of the school aren't especially difficult. Proving to yourself that you have the balls to jump out of a perfectly good airplane is where the real test in Airborne is, especially once you've realized that the whole jump procedure is streamlined for efficiency's sake. You have to trust someone else to pack your chute, for example, and not just anyone, someone who has also agreed to run at bullets for minimum wage. Then, unlike traditional skydiving, you don't have full control over your risers, those sweet little toggles that control the steering of your parachute, which means they're pretty much just fallers. This makes sense when you consider that, in a war zone, you'd like to land as soon as possible, but in training during a mass exit at altitude, what ends up happening is that you play three-dimensional frogger with 25 other jumpers. 
One day the winds were gusting like Zeus farts, and all I could do to get through being thrown uncontrollably through the air during my jump was to sing the chorus of dust in the wind. I truly felt that in that moment, I had no control over my life or death. It was in the hands of the 70s supergroup Kansas, or possibly fate. I survived, but others weren't so lucky. Throughout my time in the military, I've seen a few rangers die or get medically retired from injuries sustained during jumps and training exercises. During jump week in the class of four mine, a female soldier's parachute suffered a major malfunction and she burned in, unfortunately losing her life from her injuries. About a year later, a fellow ranger fell to his death during an airfield seizure exercise. Another parachutist got blown right under his canopy and stole the air that was keeping him aloft. Suffice to say, dropping to the ground with no lift isn't pretty. Our awareness of these kinds of deaths didn't make our own jump week harder, per se, but they were very real reminders that everything that we were doing had life-or-death consequences, even in training. Around that time, two weeks into Airborne, I got a call from a cousin who was a full-bird colonel who used to be a platoon leader in Ranger Battalion. He was an absolute legend in my mind, and a call from him was a big fucking deal to me. My mother had kept in contact with him throughout my training and let him know that I would soon be attending RASP if I passed airborne school, a.k.a. not falling to my death. He knew from his own experience that not everyone is meant to jump out of an airplane, and I think he was checking in to see whether I was one of those guys. How's it going so far? he asked. Easy breezy. Sure. He said, knowing full well that I'd just spent the last four months getting my shit pushed in. I hear you're going to RASP after you graduate. RASP is the final step that determines whether or not you have what it takes to join one of the three battalions of the 75th Ranger Regiment. The three are 1st Battalion at Hunter Army Airfield in Savannah, Georgia, 2nd Battalion at Fort Lewis in Tacoma, Washington, and 3rd Battalion right here at luxurious Fort Benning, Columbus, Georgia. Where do you want to go after RASP? He asked. I really want to go to Fort Lewis, 275, but I'm not sure if that will happen. You never know, my cousin said. Keep your chin up and good luck. I wanted to go to Fort Lewis for two reasons. I wanted to head back west to be closer to my family down in Santa Barbara. And during this time of the war, the Ranger battalions were on cycle deployments, and 275 had just got pushed forward. This meant that if I got to go to 2nd Ranger Battalion, I'd be able to deploy immediately instead of having to cool my heels for several months like the dudes in 1st or 3rd Battalion. Regardless of how I performed at RASP, I had no idea where I'd wind up because the military does not have a reputation for granting the wishes of its newest recruits. If you wanted to go to 175, you'd end up at 2nd Battalion. If you wanted to go to 275, you'd end up in 1st Battalion. If you wanted 375, well, you'd end up at 375, because 3rd Battalion is in Columbus, Georgia. And as I've stated, nothing sucks more than Columbus. It's only fitting that Ranger Assessment and Selection Program also calls Columbus home, because this is when shit starts to get real and the suck fest kicks into high gear. The day after Airborne ended, three Ranger instructors happily met our graduating class and shuttled us to their compound to start the selection process. By shuttle, of course I mean that they made us run with all of our gear, personal effects, and duffel bags the couple miles up the road. And by selection process, I mean that they immediately started separating the wheat from the chaff, the strong from the weak, the fast from the slow. 
Anyone who fell behind the instructors at the back of the formation was immediately relieved from their class position and sent to another unit. Once we arrived at the blacktop, an infamous location on the ranger compound where millions of push-ups have been done and even more fuck-yous have been quietly uttered, a pep talk worthy of a Bobby Knight halftime speech commenced. 40% of rangers will get wounded! 15% will get killed! The instructor said, Y'all still want to be here? Great! If not, go the fuck home! Standing out there in the shit Georgia weather with all the other newbies, these first words out of the instructor's mouth rang through the humid air like a gunshot. He wasn't trying to scare us exactly. It was more about setting the tone. The next few weeks were going to be as hard and as shitty as any of us could imagine the vetting process would be for entry into a highly selective fighting force. Not just anyone gets to kill people and run into bullets, okay? Instructors would be creating immense stress on a nearly constant basis to test our adaptability and our leadership capabilities as we neared our breaking points. That's the real goal of RASP, to push you to the limit, to try to break you. To make you miserable every fucking second of the day so that you'll quit. Because having someone in Ranger Regiment who is susceptible to fear, physical exhaustion, or poor decision making as a result of mental fatigue is like walking around with a landmine strapped to your ankle. There is no sense in sugarcoating it. Having some weak motherfucker in your unit will get you killed. As the instructor kept talking, he added the next bit of stress. The next test was for timidity and weakness. He made all of us hold our rucksacks over our head. Even after our little super shuttle the blacktop, there were still too many students left in the class. They needed to get rid of a bunch before they could start the course. So, the first 15 airborne graduates to drop their rucks? Well, they got a one-way ticket home. I remember looking around and taking measure of my classmates, studying their faces as the instructor's warnings resonated. Most of us had just gone through OSA and Airborne together, so I figured everyone would be prepared for this last man standing test. I was wrong. Some of the guys were confused. Others were plainly fearful. No matter how hard they tried, they couldn't hide it. As their arms shook under the weight of their rocks and their own estimations of themselves, you could see that people were calculating the odds in their head, questioning if they had what it took to keep going, to roll those dice, Wondering if they should really be here. The number of guys who'd never even thought about quitting, let alone dying, between the time they enlisted and the time they got to RASP, would blow your mind. It wasn't long before people started dropping their rucks. Not because of physical fatigue, but because of the reality check. I could actually die. Within 30 minutes, the instructors had their 15 sacrificial lambs. And the rest, about 40 to 50 of us, Moved on. The first week of RASP was less difficult than I expected, mostly because there wasn't much that was new. A lot of this initial week was just an extension of the previous 20-week marathon suck fest, except now the training was constant, 20 hours per day, every day. The real dick-twisting came during the second week when they sent us out to this awful, remote part of Columbus called Coal Range, which is a forest-lined swampland. If Columbus, Georgia is the asshole of America, then Coal Range is those bloody little cuts at the top of the asshole that snag all the dingleberries when it gets hairy up there. The real beauty and elegance of Coal Range isn't in the topography, it's in the timing. 
It doesn't signal the end of a military training phase like the other brutal military rites of passage do. It's just there in the middle of everything to remind you that you're getting your dick kicked into the dirt for a week straight is probably going to be a regular part of your job. If you even make it, that is. The isolation, the constant companionship of only other dudes who are as miserable as you, that's just extra! Most of the days at Cole Range, you're operating on two hours of sleep if you're lucky. Some days you march with 80-pound rucks strapped to your back, not really sure where you're headed. The other days, the instructors capitalize on the exhaustion and constant chaos of training to throw all manner of ridiculous fuckery at you, just to see how you respond. It was at this point in my life I learned to laugh at situations that were beyond fucked. I realized that there was no point in complaining about things that are outside of my control because no one would be listening, especially since I was the one who volunteered for the shit in the first place. In the middle of coal range, I would have killed for someone to bring clarity to my choices. Matt, why did you agree to submerge yourself in gator swamps at four in the morning? But instead, day after day, all I could do was laugh at everything and repeat it to myself. It's only a few more weeks. A few more weeks, and I can finally sleep and be warm again. A few more weeks, and I can eat a decent meal again. A few more weeks, and maybe I can sweet-talk one of those Columbus Waffle House waitresses into a covered and smothered best hot plate special. It's off the menu, available by request only. The worst part of the whole experience, at least for me, came on the very last night at Coal Range. It was early spring, and it had rained nearly every goddamn day. In Georgia, temperatures are still kind of cold this time of the year. Every night we were out there, it felt like it dropped into the 20s. By sundown, our uniforms would be soaked through with rain and sweat, only to freeze over like a giant, stinking sweatsicle by midnight if we didn't keep moving. The good news, I guessed, was that we rarely stopped moving. Every night, the instructors made you set up a patrol base in what was invariably the shittiest possible location to do so. It was a fun little exercise, like burpees on broken glass or listening to rich suburban college students from two-parent households talk about systemic poverty and social justice. On the last night, the instructors had set up a patrol base in about a foot of standing water. I can still see the smiles on their faces as they looked at us, shivering and feeling like death. All right, Ranger Best, how about you sit the fuck down in it? One of them said. Right here, Sergeant? I asked, pointing down in the puddle of water. No, in your suite at the Doubletree. Yeah, right fucking there. Is that a problem? No, Sergeant, just uh, double-checking. That joke, along with many, many others I told to cut the edge off the misery during the week, did not land well. The rest of you can join the comedian for open mic night. Everybody down in the fucking water. He said that with the ease of a man versed in the subtle science of slow torture. It's bath time. All of us? A guy in her class responded, almost pleading for any other kind of punishment. Come on, bro, you know the answer. We're three musketeerings this shit. Oh yeah, sugar bear, snuggle up, the sergeant said. At first, as we settled down into our waterbed, I was amazed that we actually might be able to steal a couple hours of shut-eye. When you've been run this ragged, any time you're off your feet feels like an opportunity to sleep. Then, the reality kicked in. 
All right, the stagnant ass water is Arctic cold. It wasn't long before my entire class looked like a youth group at a Parkinson's convention. To a man, we were violently shaking. We had to do something or one of us was going to get hypothermia and fucking die in this Michael J. Foxhole. Nailed it. The instructors were fully aware of that. They weren't just testing us to see if we can do all this bullshit. They wanted to see if we could work together as a unit to unfuck ourselves. That's when we decided to form a 20-man cuddle buddy chain. Two guys would hold each other chest to chest, like mama and baby otters do, then we'd sit back to back with another pair of guys to limit the amount of surface area exposed to the air. I've never even hugged my own father with this much feeling, let alone someone I've known for less than a month. But I held on to that dude facing me like he was Hillary Clinton's emails. I was never letting go. After a few minutes, the cuddle buddy chain started working. Then I had to piss. Bad. You forget about things like bodily functions when you've been operating on adrenaline and no sleep for multiple days in a row. It's only when you taste that first tiny morsel of comfort and relaxation that the urge to empty out rushes to the front of your mind. And when it comes, it comes with the fury of a flash flood. When I started to disengage from my cuddle buddy, a southern gentleman named Bishop, he grabbed a hold of my shirt and pulled me back into him. Don't go, he said. I have to piss, I told him, trying to get him to unlatch. I don't fucking care, he said through shivering teeth and grabbing on tighter. Dude, just piss right here. The desperation in his eyes was palpable. Please, man, I need you. It's gonna get all over you. Good. What do you mean, good? I want you to fucking piss on me. He nodded weakly before letting out one last breath that I could see dissipate into the Georgia night sky. It'll be warm. I looked into Bishop's eyes again. In that brief moment, something had changed in him. All the insecurity we tried to hide when we're young, all the macho posturing around sex and homosexuality and masculinity, it was all melting away for Bishop right in front of me. Any bit of shame or modesty or the boundaries he had before this night, that was all gone. And that was the whole point of the exercise, to shed whatever bullshit defenses we had brought with us in order to work together in the common defense and get the job done. Dude, that, that's kind of gay, I said. Clearly, I still had some work to do. It's not gay if it's cold. Even through chattering teeth, Bishop responded with such conviction that it sounded like he'd thought about this for a while and maybe even consulted with his pastor just to be sure. The reality is, in the early stages of freezing your balls off, the minutes pass like hours and you have a lot of time to think. That gave Bishop more than enough time to rationalize the decision to turn himself into a human toilet. Do it right now, motherfucker. We need this for warmth. The urgency in his voice was unnerving. I looked into his eyes one last time, probing for some kind of indication that maybe he was fucking around, and then I looked inside of myself and realized what Bishop already knew. When you enlist in the United States Army, intent on joining one of the three battalions of the 75th Ranger Regiment, what you are really signing up for is a commitment to do whatever it takes, whenever and wherever it is asked of you.
The men that you will be fighting with are your brothers, and when they need you, you need to be there, no matter the cost, no matter the sacrifice. This guy might one day die in my arms, I realized. The least I could do was to piss into his. Against every instinct in my body, I accepted the situation for what it was, and I pissed on another man. This was no ordinary piss, either. This was like a Bruce Springsteen concert. It just kept going and going. And all I could do was sit there in awe, waiting and wondering, will this ever end? But I'll be goddamned if Bishop wasn't right. As I began to feel the trickle of regret fill my already so camo bottoms, regret quickly turned into relief in the form of 98.6 degree yellow liquid. This was the warmest either of us had been all week. If I'd known earlier, I would have pissed on myself every chance I had. I wouldn't have even bothered to pull my dick out of my pants all week now that I think about it. In the end, our cuddle chain never broke. We survived the rugged, fissured butthole that is coal range by clinging to each other like the dingleberries we were. No one could rip us apart. No one could wipe us out. We would be there, irritating the shit out of our instructors, the itch that they couldn't scratch all the way to RAS graduation two weeks later. The most important moment of RASP other than graduation happens the day before, when you find out to which of the three battalions you've been assigned. Everyone had their personal preference for their own unique reasons. And with America engaged in a two-front war at the time, dudes were super anxious about where they were headed. Not surprisingly, a lot of guys wanted 275 once they heard that the battalion was next up in the deployment cycle. Of course, the Army didn't even bother pretending to give a shit about anyone's preferences. All they did was split up the whole graduating class into three sections, lined us up in formation, and randomly assigned each group to a battalion. My group got 375, right here in Columbus, the last pick on my list. Well, fuck. I tried to put my bad luck into context. Be happy that you passed, I told myself. You get to join one of the most prestigious units in the military. I reminded my deflated ego. At this moment, an instructor yelled out, Best! You have orders to 275! Every man in the class turned towards me in confusion. No one else got orders, let alone orders to the place they actually wanted to go. Who is this little cocky private first class named Best? That was the question painted on everyone's faces, instructors included. Why the fuck do you have 275 orders? A fellow graduate finally asked me, in total disbelief. What do you say to a stupid question like that? Something witty and insightful, obviously. I'm a make-a-wish kid. Ken Griffey Jr. must have been busy. This was my second choice. I said like a total dickhead. Fuck you, man. You won't get to, because I will be deployed. And have fun trying not to get the Waffle House waitresses pregnant. The next day after graduation, I called my cousin. Hey man, I just wanted to thank you. For what? For the orders to 275? No idea what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Okay, I said with a little chuckle. Sincerely, thanks, cuz. Good luck, he said as he hung up the phone. He was a man of few words but for the few words he offered on that day back in airborne school and whatever good words he used to get me assigned to 2nd Ranger Battalion, I was grateful.
God knows that by getting those orders, I pissed off more people that day than I pissed on on the previous four weeks. And I was grateful to be on my way to Fort Lewis and from there into combat in Iraq. Chapter 5 A Soldier Comes Home my first real break in the Army on something called block leave came after graduating from RASP and returning from my first combat deployment to Mosul. Hey, Matt, wait, WTF? Did you just skip over your entire first tour of actual war fighting? I did. I accomplished jack shit on that first deployment. The operational tempo of my unit was high, but as a cherry private, I didn't get to do much of the cool stuff. On most missions, the more experienced guys kicked down the doors while I pulled security. I'd sit in the vehicle hearing flashbangs and gunfire, wishing I were a part of it. Then, there were stretches of time where the closest I'd get to direct contact was when the Iraqis decided to lob mortars at our compound. Most landed short of the fence line, some sailed clear over us, but a couple landed on the base. A few months earlier, the enemy had mortared a mess tent on our compound during lunch, killing 22 and wounding 66. They were clearly hoping that lightning might strike twice. The whole experience was frustrating, to be honest, because I had all this training and no chance to implement it fully. I felt like I was in the middle of a fight with both arms tied behind my back. Anyway, block leave is basically an extended vacation that the military grants to entire unit around the holidays and before and after deployments. It's their way of giving soldiers an opportunity to release some stress, reunite with family, and find new unique ways to get in trouble without bringing the rest of their unit down with them. I decided to spend my 10 days of block leave back home on the beaches of Santa Barbara. I hadn't seen my family in forever, and for months on end I'd been living in a dirty, hellish, backward shithole. And then a wreck, which made me more anxious and grateful for the comforts of home than anything else I could do or anywhere else I could go. The cliché about military homecomings is totally real, by the way. When I stepped off that plane, I did hug my parents a little tighter. There was lots of crying, and I was really genuinely happy to be home with everyone. I felt like one of those suburban moms in Oprah's audience in that glorious, carefree period between getting a free new Toyota RAV4 and then learning I would have to pay $7,000 in taxes on it. Even more than spending time with my family, though, what I was most excited about was going out and seeing everyone from high school because I had changed. A lot. If you're anything like some of the people in my real life I've told about my high school botany and bass playing experiences, I imagine it's hard to reconcile the rock-hard instrument of swift justice and all-American handsomeness you see before you today with the idea that I was once a complete fucking dork. But if you think you're having a hard time with it, just picture the reactions of the people I went to high school with when I walked into a house party for the first night back home. In my mind, I secretly hoped that the whole scene would play out like a kid rock video. Pot smoke surrounds me like it's coming out of a fog machine. I kick open the door to every room I enter. People's jaws hit the floor. Guys give me the sup bro head nod, not as a form of acknowledgement, but as a way of self-consciously making their chins look stronger and their necks look thicker. Like mine had become. Girls' heads turn on a swivel. And all of those, I don't have the time of day for you? Girls from high school seem to have found an open slot for me in their Google calendars. Possibly one of them faints. 
As cool as it would have been to the sensitive ego and the wild fantasies of that insecure high school kid to have the party stop rotating on its axis the moment I arrived, the reality is the world managed to keep turning while I was gone, and it would continue turning the same way when I was home. People were happy to see me, sure, but nobody lost their shit over me. Well, nobody except a good friend of mine named Ryan, who ended up broing out a little too hard that first night. He was that buddy you haven't seen in a long time who just keeps complimenting you like he's trying to hint at some kind of personal awakening that you missed while you were gone. It starts with a nod, then the full body check down, then the step back and double take. Our first conversation was so odd and surreal, all I remember clearly now is it feeling like one of those Saturday Night Live sketches where they take one joke and beat it into the ground for five minutes until not only is it not funny anymore, but you question why you still watch that fucking show anyways. Holy shit, Matt. You're fucking ripped, dude. He said, ah, shit. Thanks, man. Fucking military, right? Yeah, man. Definitely. Milk does a body good up in this motherfucker. You look strong, man. Thanks, I said, now feeling a tad bit uncomfortable. Hell yeah! Like, really fucking strong, man. It's almost like you're like a different person. You're like the Incredible Hulk now. I'm not even going to try to make you angry. Ryan shouted as he lifted up his arms above his face. Yeah, the military kind of molds you into great shape. No, I get it. Be all you can be. I've seen the commercials, bro. It's just like, damn, man, you look big, like, defined, man. He reached in and started squeezing my bicep. Not in the gay way, more in the gold's gym, bro, your glutes look amazing way. Nope. I grabbed Ryan's hand, squeezed a pressure point. We're all good on that, I said. Okay, man, okay, let go. I'm just playing and shit. He laughed that kind of laugh where you're in legitimate pain, but you don't want to show the other person because perversely, you still want them to like you. In truth, the nature of Ryan's reaction wasn't all that unusual. I noticed it when my brothers came home from boot camp, too. It's a certain look you get from people, a mixture of admiration and apprehension. In one moment, they're thinking, man, this guy is putting some work. In the next, man, I wouldn't fuck with this guy. Now it was happening to me, and it was weird, because when you're in the military, you don't really see your body changing that much. You're too busy being tired and getting yelled at to notice. And besides, every other dude looks like you, so nothing you see in the mirror looks all that impressive. It's not until you step away from it and you're back in civilian life that you have the opportunity to look around and notice, holy shit, I could probably kill everyone in this bar. It's a nice feeling. Where I really felt the change wasn't in my physique as much as in my attitude. That was the real problem I had in high school. I tried so hard to get laid when I wasn't flipping botany burgers or slapping bass that I acted like a total pussy around girls. My utter lack of self-confidence made me terrified of saying the wrong thing or doing anything that might overtly sabotage my chances. Little did I realize that all my worrying was the biggest cock block of them all. No girl wants to fuck a guy who can't make a command decision. Now, I didn't care one way or the other. I just wanted to have fun. Two minutes into my conversation with my touchy-feely friend, one of the hottest girls from my graduating class, this smoke show named Anna, came up and said hello. 
I knew Anna enough to pick her out of a lineup, but back in the day, our interaction never went much beyond a hello from me and a nice cold shoulder from her. It was time to repay the favor. Hi, didn't we, like, go to high school together? She asked. I don't know, maybe, I said as I turned back to Ryan. You're from here, though, right? Yeah, I said, almost annoyed. Well, there's really only one high school in our town, so, like, we had to have gone to the same high school together. Oh, cool. Then, uh, I guess we did. Small world or some shit. Sick burn. In my head, I was lecturing Anna like this was a public shaming on Twitter. 280 characters of fuck you. How does it feel having the shoe in the other foot for once? Huh, Anna? You're not in control of my happiness anymore. It was like an awkward class reunion, except I was third grade Billy Madison after failing to spell Rizzuto in cursive. I hate cursive, and I hate you all! I'm never coming back to school! Never! Do you, like, want to get out of here? She asked, interrupting my train of thought. Excuse me, what was that? Did this girl who just iced me out all through high school just walk up to me out of nowhere and ask me to leave with her? But why? The cool guy Matt Best facade dropped, and the navel gazer on the inside started to pick his head up. I almost didn't know what to do. I took a sip of my beer, attempted to regain my composure. Where do you want to go? Great question, Matt. Why don't you just ask her which hole the pee comes out of while you're at it? I literally could not give one single fuck, she said without missing a beat. Wherever you're going, I'm going. So you get to decide. Now that is patriotism. The one thing Ranger Battalion drills into your head more than anything else is putting your thoughts and feelings aside in order to get the job done. This girl had just given me a mission. Screw tasks, conditions, and standards. I just needed to go hard on the objective, and it was time to execute. I chugged the rest of my beer, took her by the hand, and walked her right out of the party into my car. No goodbyes, no fist bumps with old friends. There was no time for any of those pleasantries. There was only one objective now. Within minutes, we were driving down the PCH, Pacific Coast Highway, in the old family Buick in search of the perfect place to park and stare up at the moon and the stars over the vast Pacific Ocean. And to get naked. But first, that awkward stop at the gas station along the way to buy some condoms. In the movies, this scene is always full of anxiety. The main character isn't sure what size or brand to get. He's worried that someone from his mother's church group might see him. Hopefully he has enough money. None of those were my issue. My problem was with the stoner clerk behind the register. Fuck yeah, man. You getting some? He said as I dropped the box of condoms on the counter. I like it. Hey, man, didn't we go to high school together? Fucking Santa Barbara. Everyone knows each other. The city is 80 square miles and has more than 80,000 residents. But late, on a Saturday night, when you're trying to get your fuck on, you would think this place was Casterly Rock and I was Jamie Lannister. Cool man, probably. Nice to see ya. How much do I owe ya? He peered out the window to get a look at Anna in the front seat of my car. Oh shit! Are you fucking her tonight? 
How much are the fucking condoms? I had enough of this shit. It was time to take control of the situation. I hastily opened my wallet, threw down a $10 bill, and bolted out of there. Correct change was the least of my concerns at that point. Along the PCH, there are a bunch of places to park by the beach. And at night, they're virtually empty except for the stray camper or two that belong to surf bums and the road tripping retirees. I drove for a couple miles until I found a spot that felt isolated enough and pulled in. I parked the car and fumbled with the radio. Anna grabbed my hand to stop me on the first station without static. It could have been Mexican ranchera music full of accordions and she would not have cared. This was the first moment I really paused to take a good look at Anna. She was still blonde, five foot seven like I remembered, but she was also impressively fit and weirdly confident. There was no trace of the petty high school insecurities. She knew what she wanted. She was not trying to get to know me or rekindle an old flame. She had been an ice princess towards me in high school. There was no flame to speak of. What she saw in me was not a future life partner, but something much more elemental than that. She saw a fucking man. The house party that we had just come from was full of boys. It wasn't their fault. They'd all graduated. Most of them had stuck around Santa Barbara. Some had maybe started college or were taking classes somewhere. Others had bullshit jobs doing this or that. But none of them had really actually done anything yet. I've gotten to know a bunch of beautiful women over the years that reminded me of Anne in various ways. I eventually married one. And the stories they all tell from this period in their lives are riddled with frustration from having to deal with idiot guys, with go-nowhere boys. When Anna decided she wanted to hook up and she looked at me among all those other guys, what she saw was a dick dispenser attached to a returning war hero and a hardcore motherfucker in his prime. In reality, of course, nothing could have been farther from the truth. I spent more of my first deployment cleaning shit out of toilets than I did pulling the trigger of my gun. But when the hottest girl you've laid eyes on in the last 18 months is convinced you're Jason Bourne, you don't pretend to be Jason Alexander. That night and into the early morning, we used every single condom in the box. Before I took her home, somewhere around 6 a.m., as the sun began to rise over the mountains behind us, I looked at this girl and thought about how different my life had become. The skinny emo geek everyone remembered from barely more than a year earlier was nowhere to be found. In his place sat a motivated army ranger with a chiseled jaw and a boatload of self-confidence in his gut. An unfamiliar degree of comfort in his own skin and 20 pounds more muscle on his frame. Everything I could have ever envisioned about the military was coming true, and I still had nine more days of block leave to go through. The next night, I went to another house party and hung out with the same group of friends, except for Anna, who wasn't there. The part of me that was starting to get used to this whole Captain America thing wanted to believe that she was at home, sitting on a bag of frozen peas, writing me love letters in her diary. Dear Matt, I am so sorry for big-timing you back in the high. Last night, while you were making love to all of my bathing suit pots, I finally felt what it's like to be a true American again. Like a real one, you know, like John Cena or Hank Williams Jr. I finally learned the air of my ways. You are a true hero. I would ask you to marry me, like, right now. Except it would be selfish for me to rob the world of your touch. They say if you love something, 
set it free, and if it returns, then it's yours. I totally don't even care if you come back. You were like an eagle, a wild stallion, like public restrooms in European cities. You need to be free. So go, Matt. Be free. Freedom your fucking face off. And fuck the freedom into anyone who stands in your way. Girls talk like that, right? I never got a chance to find out because one of the cheerleaders from my class, a girl named Alexa, approached me early in the night and captured my attention. Side note, I'm still friends with her and she seems super happy with her husband now that the whole fuck my cheating husband period has blown over. Alexa never even knew I existed in high school, but on the heels of marathon animal sex the night before, my confidence meter had skyrocketed to a zillion. And none of those awkward social dynamics from the past meant a thing to me. Oh, to be young and dumb again. Hey, didn't we go to high school together? She asked. Oh no, sister, you don't get to play coy with me. I turned to give her my full attention. I only had nine more days before I went back up to Fort Lewis. It was time to get down to business. Who gives a fuck about high school? You don't know me, and I barely know you. Let's change all that tonight and try not to get pregnant. What do you say? Pure romance. That's a little forward, she said through her nervous laughter. Well, this truck ain't going backward. You down or what? Alexa was no idiot. You don't survive a vicious click like a high school cheerleading team, having spent four years at the top of a human pyramid with everyone looking up your business, without knowing how to navigate the reputational threats that come from hooking up with random dudes. There was a process to this. There were expectations. She wasn't just going to lie down on the ground right there and pull her panties to the side. This wasn't heaven. This was a house party. Dignity was important. Let me say bye to my friends. She replied, glancing straight into my eyes for a second. The fun, open, flirty look on her face from when she first walked up to me was gone. In its place was the certitude of a sexual terminator. Through her fixed gaze, I could see that she'd done all the calculations. She'd assessed me, she'd assessed the environment, and she'd made her decision. All my brain could muster was, Oh, fuck, I can't believe that just worked. When she went over to say goodnight, I could see her recounting our conversation to all her gorgeous friends. They looked over at me and giggled. Some of their eyes grew wide in mock surprise. One of them smacked her on the ass as she walked back towards me, like a coach offering encouragement to her star running back as she headed back into the game on the fourth and a girthy eight inches. It was more than a little intimidating, because it was clear that this girl knew what she was doing, or was about to do, while I, without a ton of experience under my belt, had no idea, though I was learning fast. The only thing that came to mind was to make it a carbon copy of the night before, so I took her to the exact same beach lot and pulled into the exact same parking spot after going back to the exact same gas station for the exact same box of condoms. The only thing missing was a case of bounty paper towels because this former cheerleader was a squirter. And by the time we were done, there was a mess all over the backseat of the Buick. And even worse, 
all of her body heat and friction had baked it into the fabric. There was no way I could bring my parents' car home smelling like diluted girl pee. We're not Germans. I had to fix this. At some point, the sun started to rise over the mountains. That could only mean one thing. Home Depot was about to open. I dropped Alexa off back at the party house, where her car was parked, and then I ran to the depot to get some of that industrial-strength carpet cleaner they use at motel crime scenes. Right there, in the parking lot, I got to scrubbing like Lady Macbeth. I'm not complaining, I promise. I had no problem diving in and cleaning out that back seat. I was like a toddler who finger-paints his bedroom walls with the poop from his dirty diaper and then stands back to admire it. Yeah, Mom, I did that. I made that mess. Or at least I made her make that mess. I felt a tremendous sense of accomplishment. A few nights later, as the parade of house parties marched on, I switched things up and left with a girl named Meg, whom I barely remembered from high school. Meg was a year older than me. From a high school hierarchy perspective, there was nothing exceptional about her. She wasn't a Regina George type or a cheerleader or Megan Fox and Transformers hot. Nothing that would have made her stick out in my memory. She was just a cool person who was fun to talk to that night and whom I knew about as well as anyone knows half of the people that they were friends with on MySpace. In essence, I liked her profile picture and wanted to slide into those PMs. Fortunately for me, her privates were not set to private, and by the end of the night, she wanted to go back to her place so I could put my space into her space. I was excited because I was getting kind of tired of fucking in my parents' car. There's only so much you can do in a sedan. Spoiler alert, be careful what you wish for, boys and girls, because you might just get it. There's something you need to understand about where I grew up. There are actually two Santa Barbaras. One is fabulously wealthy and posh, with huge homes, lush gardens, and amazing views. People like Oprah and Ellen DeGeneres and Tom Cruise have houses there. Sometimes people call it Montecito, other times they call it the American Riviera. And it's as beautiful as the pictures in the brochure. Then, there's the Santa Barbara with houses that look like they washed ashore after an Indonesian tsunami 55 years ago and came to rest under some palm trees. That is the Santa Barbara I'm from. That's the Santa Barbara that Meg's house was in. If you even want to call it a house, it was so small that Meg and her family probably qualified as being homeless in the state of California. The whole thing couldn't have been more than 900 square feet. When we got to the front door, she put her finger to her lips. Keep it down when you walk inside. My parents are sleeping. She instructed me. Keep it down? I wasn't worried about waking them up with my voice. I was more concerned with stepping on them or hitting them with the door when we walked in. Okay, but won't they be able to hear us, you know, doing stuff? No, we'll go out to the garage. My brother has it built up pretty cool. We'll be alone in there. What is this place? The Goonies house? Is your brother Josh Brolin? Is he going to be in there fondling a chest expander and eye-fucking me? I had so many questions, but I put them all aside because Meg was going to let me trust fall into her vagina, and insulting her home was a surefire way of falling on my face. All right, I said, lead the way.
We tiptoed through her dollhouse kitchen and she guided me into the garage, which she illuminated by pulling the string of a single 45-watt bulb suspended from an I-beam that held up the roof. I was right. It did look like the Goonies garage. There were posters of fast cars tacked to the exposed wall beams. There was even a shitty little weight bench with those old-school plastic plates that you had to fill with sand. Nothing about this room screamed cool, even to a kid like me who had a resume full of dork. How's your brother, 14? No, he's your age. He went to school with us. Meg said nonchalantly as she led me past the Fisher-Price weight bench. Oh, okay, so your parents just kept this sort of preserved for him? I was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. No, he still lives at home, she said. He's staying at Steve's house tonight. Yeah, Steve. Cool. I said confidently. I didn't know who Steve is, and after the nickel tour, I didn't really want to find out. Apparently, knowing that Steve is a name that guys have was enough to put an end to the small talk. Meg quickly removes her top and leads me over to what appears to be a large pull-out futon bed with a huge comforter stretched over it. The comforter is tucked in and around the sides on the concrete floor. No metal frame, no box spring, just floor. That's okay, though. I've slept on worse. Meg sits down gently, and I hear a loud crunch. I take off my shirt, and she extends her hand toward me. Just sit down carefully, okay? I have no idea what she's talking about, so I let her take the lead and guide me down on top of her. But when the weight of my body presses down, I feel a loud metal crunch, accompanied by the same noise she made when she sat down. She giggles like this shit is adorable, like fucking inside of a recycling bin is a turn-on. What is this thing? This doesn't feel like a futon. It's our old garage door, Meg says with a laugh. My dad didn't really know how to dispose of it, so he just kept it here all these years. My brother uses it as a bed. Wait, you want me to have sex on your brother's bed, which is actually your old garage door that is inside your garage, which is covered by your current garage door? Yeah, why not? You don't find that weird. I've never really thought about it. We just have to be quiet. Because we're having sex on top of an old metal door. Well, yeah, she says. As I take off my jeans, I can hear and feel every single crunch from the garage door. Part of me is terrified that we'll wake up her parents. Another part of me wants to yank back the comforter to get a good look at this thing. Meg insists it's a garage door, but to me, it sounds like a giant potato chip bag full of tetanus. When we finally get all of her clothes off and I put on a condom, it sounds like a tornado in a tin can. The metal garage door is being less forgiving of her movements than a tight satin dress in high definition. There is no hiding anything. At first, I go slow, trying to muffle as much noise as I can. But instead of a tornado, now there's this eerie creaking sound echoing through the room like a crab boat trying to cut through the Bering Sea ice pack. You can go faster, she whispers in my ear. My parents' room is on the other side of the house. They'll never be able to hear us. 
Are you sure? I ask. I'm not buying it. Jiminy Cricket slept in a matchbox that was bigger than this fucking house. Oh, totally. She says, as if she's gone the distance on top of this garage door plenty of times. The idea that her sexual sample size is statistically significant enough to make a confident claim like this is a little unnerving. I'm not going to lie. Not because it makes me think less of her. To the contrary, it makes me think less of myself. I don't have the bedroom refs that she has. Although technically neither does she if she spent all of her time in high school hooking up on top of a door. If I don't find my groove in this thing, I'm going to blow it and totally be disappointing. This is not how I want to end block leave. God damn it, Mumblecore Matt, get both your heads in the game! I started to pick up the pace. Eventually, my body adjusts to the grooves of the metal door, and not only am I able to get good leverage, but I find a really good rhythm, and we all start to feel like we're moving as one. Me, Meg, and the door. It's virtually symphonic. Then, just as I'm about to orgasm, I hear a loud noise, followed immediately by a bright light. The actual garage door is going up on us. Oh, shit! Meg says, panicked. I think my brother's home. What do you mean, home? It's a garage. Now she looks at me like I'm the crazy one. That's when it dawns on me, he really does live in this fucking garage. For a total shit box of a house, the garage door goes up surprisingly fast. The way the makeshift bed is positioned, we're the first thing her brother is going to see. The glare of the car's headlights hit us right in the face. We try to grab for her clothes, but to no avail. Meg? John, I, I can explain, she says as she awkwardly pulls the comforter over her chest. As the garage door comes to a rest and the headlights finally turn off, I see two pairs of men's legs. What the fuck are you doing in my room? He asks angrily. To be fair, it's the garage, I interject. Wait, weren't you in that emo band? His friend asks. <laughs> I was. Shut the fuck up, man, John says. Meg, get out of my fucking room. Fine, could you at least close the garage door and give us a second? God! Meg says as she fumbles around for her clothes. John hits the garage door remote, and as it slowly closes, I can hear his friend. Hey man, their band was actually pretty good. He says, cracking himself up. If I hadn't already been red-faced from fucking, I would have totally blushed as we got dressed. I couldn't believe he recognized me from blind story days. I had no idea that someone might remember us. I was genuinely touched by that, even if they did ruin our episode of Casting Garage. Believe it or not, this was a perfect way to end a week and a half of blissful, rugged sex. Getting on the plane to Tacoma, Washington, back to my unit to prepare for our next deployment, I was filled with even more purpose than I had had before the first one. I was feeling a new sense of confidence, and I was ready to get back overseas and finally get into the real combat I had been dreaming about for the last two years. That's the funny thing about dreams, though. The fun is in the chasing. Once you achieve them, they usually don't give you that sense of satisfaction or gratification that you had thought they would. Sometimes you realize you were really chasing something else all along. And then other times, like I was about to find out, 
they have a fucked up way of bringing you back down to reality. 